welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. Today we have a brother who has made tremendous contributions as an activist and artist in the fight for freedom, justice, and equality. Not just for some, but for all. He has literally fought tooth and nail to dismantle systemic racism in law enforcement, as well as the prison industrial complex. He has been in this struggle for over a quarter century, bringing a hands-on approach to his work as a podcaster, social justice advocate, political organizer, journalist, producer, hip-hop artist, and consultant. You name it, this brother is with the business. Please welcome our guest, Awkward. How you doing? Damn. Thank you. I mean, that, that was a crazy introduction. I appreciate I appreciate all of that. You know, it means a, a hell of a lot coming from you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just glad to be here. Absolutely. We're glad to have you, man. We've been trying to get on with you for a minute because we got a lot of <laughs> and a lot of people listening. So let's get to it, man. I got some questions for you, man. And uh, I know you're going to give us some answers. The first thing I want to know, and everybody else I'm sure is, they want to know a little bit about your background and upbringing. Also, where are you originally from? Yeah. Um, and let me just say for anyone listening, I plan on having Philip on my show as well. Um, that was that's actually how this started. I believe it was my interest in having you on. Just to uh to answer the actual question, I am from a family that uh is from Palestine and um Eastern Europe. Um my parents were second generation, all Jewish, and lived mainly in New York. Uh, my parents moved my sister and me to Connecticut, thinking that that would be a safer, better upbringing. Um, but unfortunately, it put me in a place where I was surrounded by rich, white, Christian conservatives. And as a working class Jew raised by an activist mother, um, I didn't fit in, needless to say. And so my activism actually began as a, you know, I knew how to do it. I know I could do it because of my mom, but my focus was very early exactly what it is today. And that's as a direct result of experiencing intense anti-Semitism, of fearing for my own life. And then witnessing that the, the violence that these same individuals, whether they were students in my high school or police in the town, the treatment that other people got if they weren't white, Christian, male, straight, cis, etc., was even worse than what I experienced as a Jewish person. And, and that's just what kicked it all off. Oh, man, absolutely. That is a powerful statement, man. And uh, that sets the context. Uh, for where we're going, man, and uh, I, I didn't know all of that, and I'm quite sure the listeners are very grateful uh, for you to share that that pretext. What we want to do is we want to address the elephant in the room right off the top. <laughs> you know, so I have to ask: um, Are you an Antifa militant? If so, can you tell our listeners who Antifa is and what they stand for? Sure. Um, I love the question. It makes me laugh. Um, I think honestly, the answer was yes for a long time. My activism didn't necessarily start out um, the way it it has become what it is today, and it has changed over time. I was a uh, I was heavily influenced by a group that doesn't really exist to the same extent today. They were called Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice or the Sharps, and my cousins were founders of one of the ch biggest chapters across the country, and. The role of the Sharps was to hunt 
Nazis. So for a long time, I was an anti-fascist looking for fascists and beating the shit out of them. That obviously is not what I do now. Um, it moved very quickly, thankfully, because of my mom and she being a pacifist, which I am not, you know, before she passed, she was a, you know, continued to heavily influence me and taught me how to do things the right way. So over time, I've become less and less of a violent anti-fascist and more and more of an anti-fascist, anti-racist abolitionist. Abolitionists believe in transformative justice. Abolitionists believe that anyone has the, has the capability of changing, um, of reforming, of paying their dues to society, which means that that applies to someone who hates me for my religion or my ethnicity or my bloodline because they are the result of generations of disinformation. So I believe that beating them up is not the answer. I believe killing them is not the answer. That is what separates me from the people that identify today as Antifa. They're more focused on getting as many of those people away from the rest of us as possible in any way necessary. Philosophically, politically, anti-fascists, which is all Antifa means, and I are absolutely on the same side. Do we necessarily agree with every one of each other's tactics? Probably not. Feel it, and that that is uh, a distinct uh, in and of itself. And I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, at some point, you gotta evolve. Um, and also, like you said, sometimes beating people up doesn't change their their mindset or their ideology. Uh, they may go home beaten down, but still hate you. And so, yeah, you gotta figure out a way to penetrate the ignorance in order to get the people to understand that their hatred is uh, uncalled for and is directed at the wrong people. That's exactly right. And the, the, the unfortunate thing, and you see this with mass shooters, and this is why cops are not, and, and cages are not the answer to mass shooters and hate crimes either, is the reason these people have gone home or the reason these people go into a school and shoot up the place or go into a black church or a gay club is because they are alienated, ostracized, othered, et cetera, et cetera. And they've been told that it's blacks, Jews and gays fault, right? Like they don't understand that it's actually the, the Christian government's fault. It's actually the corporate owned government's fault. So what happens is these people get beat down and beat down and beat down and don't know who to blame, just like you're saying. So beating them up only makes them more likely to come and shoot up a place. For sure. Can you tell our listeners what the 10 demands are? Yes. Uh, the 10 demands for justice uh, create a roadmap to the humanist society, to the more community-oriented society where true safety and wellness are prioritized, um, that, you know, this is the society that we see. And so, you know, there is a major difference between reforms that are made that chip away at the existing system and lead us toward abolition, a society where we are not reliant on cops in cages, but actually address underlying problems and prevent crime and heal people. You know, what, what the 10 Demands does is 
provide steps using those types of reforms. There are literal local, state, and national law suggestions across the Ten Demands. Reformist reforms, on the other hand, are reforms that actually strengthen the systems. Biden, for instance, suggestion of getting rid of federal private prisons, sure, that's a nice thing, but when you do that, you're, set, you're repeating the idea that prison is the solution, just not ones that are private. It is also ignoring the fact that state and federal prisons have tons of contracts with private companies. So even, even non-private prisons and, and other de detention facilities are also really private. Um, and, and it also ignores the fact that all of these people who are, would have to leave a private prison would just be moved to a non-private prison. Those people aren't being released. There's no actual caring or understanding. There's no change of philosophy. This is a technique to assuage the masses, to make them think that Democrats are pro-justice, pro-equity, etc., etc. They're not. Neither are the Republicans. That part is really obvious. So the 10 demands include an actual methodology for defunding the police and funding our communities, for providing reparations to descendants of slavery, to descendants of Native people. It includes, you know, getting rid of prisons, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's realistic. It's pragmatic. It demonstrates how you do that. You start with nonviolent. You start with really old people. You start with sick people. You start with people who've served their sentences and for some reason are still in or who've behaved really well despite the insane conditions of prison for X number of years. We, we get we get uh, political prisoners out, which is obviously the least likely thing that would happen. And we keep moving forward until everyone is out. We need time to build the alternative mechanisms that would replace what we've been doing for centuries. And that's what the 10 Demands lays out. Hey, man, that's, that's education, man. And I'm glad that you uh, broke it down the way that you did for the listeners so that they can really uh, understand, you know, piece by piece, it all comes together for the right result. I mean, one of the things you said really caught my attention. You was talking about defunding the police. That brings me to something I wanted to ask you. Well, what does that mean in terms of uh, how does that look? People who may think that, you know, what these politicians are saying, trying to make it sound, you know, they can't, they wouldn't be acceptable in their eyes. They try to twist it around. Well, I wanted you to tell the listeners, what does that look like? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And it's something that Democrats and Republicans have been, as you said, twisting around both sides still to this day believe tough on crime is the answer or to to speak as if you were tough on crime and believe me they all are um biden wrote the crime bill that created mass incarceration and again we know what republicans care about so i hear things like great idea totally support it bad language bad slogan change your marketing my answer to that is that what is overwhelming what is astonishing should not be our marketing it should be the current condition and as much as you know it may scare certain people that's a good thing just like we need antifa in the streets lighting 
police stations on fire. We need professional organizers and policymakers and activists from our communities leveraging that fear and bringing the 10 demands to city council meetings and town hall and, and forcing change using that fear as leverage. Just like Martin Luther King, he was able to be successful partly because everyone was so terrified of Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party. And so today when we talk when i talk about defund the police i don't mind if i scare you because if we can move make progress toward defunding police because politicians are willing to listen to people a little less radical than i am we will get we will get there over time and yes i know directly impacted people don't have time <laughs> you haven't had time for a really long time but we can only do so much so quickly outside of a full-scale revolution or an effective general strike and these things are obviously harder to organize i will say though for what it's worth september 30th um a bunch of amazing black radical feminists have created a day called a day without us which will be a really nice test to see the kind of engagement and to see the kind of effect i would love to see numbers on the financial impact because the only way we can really influence politicians is through the things that they care about money and violence um as far as what defund the police means and i'm sorry for the long answer but it simply means taking the money out of police departments, which we have proven over and over and over again, don't stop crime, don't reduce crime, don't keep anybody safe, with actual programs that do all of those things. Cops are responsible for a third of all stranger murders in this country. They kill 25 plus dogs and three plus people a day. Yet, they only solve 2% of all major crimes. When the tough on crime politicians talk about exploding crime rates, not only are they flagrantly lying, but it's hilarious because they're defeating their own argument. They're saying police aren't doing their jobs. It's not working. Crime is so high. Well, if crime is so high and there's a freaking trillion police, is the answer, Joe Biden, another hundred thousand more of people not doing their job? No. When things don't work, you find an alternative. Well, sure. Hey, man. Hey, I, from your mouth to God's ears, because uh, you just hit it on the nose. If something doesn't work, common sense would say that your strategy or your tactic is it's useless, and so you have to do something that works. Don't just try to appease the listeners or the people that support you. Um, rather, try to do something to really change uh, the circumstances on the ground for everyday people. And I always say that, man. It ain't about the talk. And then these politicians, man, and this is what they're good at, uh, but we don't see the results. Absolutely. And that's why a lot of people say there's no such thing as a good politician or a, a you know, whatever, a people... <laughs> focused politician because as unfortunately as we see all the ones that we're really excited about that we call radical or progressive or whatever as soon as they get into office they fall in line too certainly at the federal level i honestly i don't even waste my time with it 10 demands is more focused at the community level because if we can through mutual aid and community programs develop alternatives we can flat out we can and by the way alongside community defense programs we can literally kick the cops out of our neighborhood we can kick ems out of our neighborhoods and the fire department out of our neighborhoods because unfortunately even if the latter two mean well and do good when you call 911 they all show up so we need to do this ourselves and if we can we don't even need state government we don't 
don't need a federal government. Obviously, this is what you would consider anarchistic or something and, and terrifying to a lot of people. But my point simply is that we need to focus locally and that can actually include focusing on local elections. It is essential that the people we bring the 10 demands to at the city council are like Kristen Richardson Jordan in New York City, who can actually understand what we're saying and agree with us. Uh, well, before I go and come back on the other side, one of the main reasons why crime rate seems to be increasing, especially in the, in the poor... We have 30 seconds ...is because they're afraid to call the police. Because Absolutely. ...that when they call the police, somebody in their lives or in their family that they love is going to end up dead. And so they don't even want to call the police, so it just seems that crime is going up. It's not even going up. Boom. Yeah. That's a great conversation. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhillip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you and keep listening to The Wall Behind and Beyond. I was just talking about why a lot of people in poor communities don't want to call the police uh, because they're more afraid of the police than they are what's going on uh, in, their, in their community. That's exactly right. And this doesn't just like, for those listeners who aren't, directly impacted who look at like the numbers that I share or the, you know, stories that I try to relay from others, like, and think of this kind of like, you know, I guess from a thousand feet up or the bird's eye view and are like thinking politically, you also have to understand that this is, this, this involves people's hearts, their lives, their families, their emotions. Like the fact that every single black family has to have the talk <laughs> and and every white family is raised to think cops are there to protect them that's in, that's like that says a lot man the fact that like every black mom and dad or like indigenous mom and dad it fears like their kid isn't going to return every time they leave the house my mom didn't have to work well i was violent so my mom did worry about that with me she got a lot of calls from cops but most white people or most jews whatever are not their parents are not worried like that and and that is like underlying all of this like how can we think that there's any like equality in in a country um where it where it's so fundamental like that at the most base human level it's so basic for police when they're called to come to the community or the call and to ask, how is everything going? What is the problem? How can we help? Don't come with hostility from the start. And they talk to the people, even the ones that call in a patronizing way as if, you know, you guys are the problem or something. So I really have a lot to say on this subject because I am from the place where I've seen uh, so many uh, negative interactions. That's right. Faith in it. But there are ways to make it work if they paid attention. It's not about no training and throwing more money on it. It's about community policing and people that live in the area to make sure that everything is good and protecting those elderly and kids and making sure nobody comes in there and does anything to harm them. That's the way you do it. 
Uh, not by calling people in that don't care nothing about your community or you, uh, or have a negative uh, uh, image of you from the start before they even get there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree with 99% of that. The only thing that I would, you know, question is the just, and it's almost a semantics question because I know what you mean. The use of the word or the, the term community policing, I would, I try, and abolitionists in general try to stay away from any term that even includes the word policing. Because in, in truth, in my opinion, and I believe you believe this too, what we need more so is community defense and community healthcare, um, community-based education, you know, because when we defend from within, that's referring to these people you're talking about who might come into the community who don't mean well. If we're policing ourselves, again, we don't want to use that term, but that that's that's what we want but when we think about what policing means it's very construct it was created to catch former slaves and put them right back into slavery essentially um on chain gangs and things by using newly created laws for that very purpose so we need to get the whole concept of policing out of our minds um and out of our communities instead we need to think about it as not watching over them from this carceral kind of standpoint but protecting them and i'm pretty sure that of course is is what you meant as well certainly having cops from other neighborhoods who don't know you making a hundred thousand dollars a year to come in and you know, go after people that have already been targeted and continue to criminalize them and put them back into the system over and over again is obviously not the solution. And it's not just cops, it's prosecutors, it's judges, you know, and so it's really essential that we do as much as we can outside of the system if we can if we can engage in transformative justice within our communities using you know local mediators that both sides know harm will decrease um healing will increase and we won't have to rely on third parties we can't trust absolutely it's exactly what you said words have power and so you have to choose them correctly in order for people to get exactly what you're saying without giving power to um, a word that should be obsolete because if your community didn't need them, then you wouldn't have to call them in the first place. They wouldn't have no reason to patrol it. You know what I mean? So what are your views of the prison industrial complex? Can it really be dismantled? There are a lot of people who believe, and I would say that 99% of them are outside of the justice space in which we were but there are many people who i respect um who believe that it's impossible as long as capitalism exists i don't feel that way um because even though we've been relying on cheap to free prison labor slave labor for a long time even though there are tons of contract between corporations and jails and ice and prisons and the government and even though that it has increasingly extended into home incarceration e-incarceration there's money being made everywhere it doesn't mean that those companies aren't making money elsewhere as well there's a whole bunch of people who are working directly on fighting back against mass surveillance which is directly tied into this there's a lot of people who are focused on the increased militarization and the intersections of the prison and military industrial complexes i believe that 
you know, the groups like Worth Rises that are focused specifically on the privatization and the commercial aspects of the pick are providing an incredible service. And I believe that over time, as we develop these alternative mechanisms and and continue to defund the police down to zero and change our local court systems and everything else, we will be able to get to a point where we don't need, and again, I don't think we need them now, but we can demonstrate like indisputably that jails and prisons aren't serving any purpose. And and I just think like if the if the profit motive is less significant, they won't even want to invest in it. So let's continue to make it less and less viable for them. One of the things we've been talking about all along is that all of these things that have been created supposedly for our safety aren't working. It's important to note that it isn't working for you, Philip. Um, it's barely, I would say for me, it's not working either, even though maybe they wanted it to, you know, although if they knew I was a Jew, probably not. It is working exactly as intended. And that is the biggest problem. We can't convince them by saying people are still unhealthy. People are still unsafe. They don't care. It's doing exactly what's intended. It's making them a fortune off the backs of predominantly black people. And it's getting all the people they don't want to look at every day as far away from them as they can while protecting their private property and their commercial corporate financial interests. All of this is not important to them to begin with. It's all about what it's what it's really doing is exactly what they wanted it to do. But I do believe that it can be done without completely revolu- without a complete full-scale uh, socialist revolution. Hey, man, that's deep, uh, because that's what systems are made of, and that's why they're so hard to unwrap, uh, because they're baked in, and everybody has a hand in it, and everybody's invested in it for money purposes and political prestige. In your opinion, how do we go about changing the cultural dependency on prisons and put a halt to mass incarceration? Yeah, like I said, it's that Goliath, right? I mean, we need to do as little infighting as possible, as little judging as possible, as much collaboration as possible, because there are so many different angles that we are attacking in this, and they're all working towards something positive. Um, For instance, the organizations, um, Jail Law Speak, for instance, uh, they're an obvious example, that are fighting for better prison conditions for For instance, Jail Law Speak is an abolitionist organization. That doesn't mean, though, that every action that is taken, or or another example, Pen Pal, you know, people that organize Pen Pal relationships, people that bring books into prison. This isn't reducing the prison population. This isn't, you know, inherently abolitionist in nature in that it's chipping away at the system, but it's so critical to make sure that people like you, Philip, are suffering as little as possible. You know, then you have the groups like Worth Rises that I was talking about. You you know, you have you have the activists that everyone calls Antifa doing the things that are scaring people, who are doxing cops who are who've killed people five times. You have groups like mine that are trying to provide um, actual steps for um, local communities. Honestly, I think we just have to continue to do what we're doing. And, and honestly, I, I, critical resistance was created after decades of, again, like mostly black radical feminists, like working tirelessly to change this system and discovering that all they had done, and these are the words of Dylan Rodriguez, a founding member, um, all they had done was strengthen the system, that these reforms don't work and that we have to figure out 
actual ways of destroying the things that are destroying us. And, you know, obviously, years after Critical Resistance's founding, George Floyd was murdered and we had the longest period of sustained protest in our nation's history, followed the next year by an increase in police funding. So we're still we're still where we are, but I'd like to say that there are way more abolitionists today than there were before George Floyd. There are way more people who understand what defunding means, and every day I pretty much convince another neoliberal Democrat to become an abolitionist. And as much as we need immediate change and a totally different system yesterday, we still have to celebrate our progress. It is so crazy to me as you were speaking, because it seems that when you talk about politics, uh, the Republicans have fully embraced um, all these uh, right-wing terrorists, uh, white supremacists, skinheads, Nazis. They fully embraced them like because they're afraid that if they don't, that they're either going to lose uh, their elected position uh, because Trump is going to campaign against them, or the people that's out there in these hate groups are going to convince their family members to vote the way that they want them to and they will have a losing they, they don't want to lose and so they don't want to be out of office and so they'll do anything and that's crazy because uh, they've conformed and so when you talk about transforming the minds of people to make them see things clearly on on the right or the left one side has embraced uh the hatred and the hate mongers and the and the, and the violent extremists in this country and the other side, it just seemed like they're just not doing anything. They're just complacent and hoping for the best. Uh, hope ain't going to do it. Exactly right. I, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. And that is exactly right. And and that is the reason that so many black leaders, past and present, have said very clearly that although it seems like Nazis are the biggest enemy, it is the neoliberal that is most dangerous. And that is because they pretend to be your best friend. They talk the talk, but they actually create laws. Democrats created the Patriot Act. Democrats created the 1994 crime bill. They are directly responsible for what is happening today. But nobody believes it. Nobody knows it. Nobody wants to admit it. I have to be very careful in my conversations with the neoliberals. I don't spend any time blaming Biden. They probably know already that Biden created the crime bill. They will not admit it. So that's not what I'm going to talk to them about. And there are ways to talk to Republicans, too. If they're, I guess, what you would call a true Republican and not a Trumper or a Nazi, they at least pretend to care about fiscal stuff, even though Democrats have historically been better for the economy, Republicans pretend they are. So if you want to talk about exorbitant expense that does not have a positive effect, you can talk to them about that. They don't care about the impacted people, but they care about wasted funds. So that's an opportunity, I guess. You know, the, the reality is, is that there is no party that is going to save us. There is no union that is going to save us. Um, we have to do this ourselves. And it's the same reason at this point that no party is really trusted. But at the same time, you know, to your point, Republicans have always been Nazis. They've just hidden it better or they cared more to hide it before Trump. These Nazi groups have always been there. They've just been quieter. And for what it's worth, despite all the reports from the FBI even about Nazis infiltrating police departments, infiltrating is the wrong word. Police stations, police departments, policing has always been a white supremacist 
uh, institution. So sure, there may be more Klansmen, registered Klansmen, more registered Proud Boys. That doesn't mean they haven't always thought the same way. Hey, man, uh, it sounds like it's a need for a third party. Not just some rhetoric or some talk, but it sounds like it's a need for a third party or something. Because if you can't trust either party to do the right thing, uh, then what is the point? You know what I mean? Like, that shit is irrelevant. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it's not going to help us. Like you said, it's not going to save us. Uh, we the people have to save ourselves. Yeah, we have to rely less on electoral politics, period. Yes, a third party is ideal. I think get rid of parties altogether. I think that's a better solution. We should vote as blocks, um, and it should obviously be ranked choice voting where it's not just, these are your two options and otherwise fuck yourself. And a, a great example of why a third party is probably not even an option, even if we want to rely on it, is what, it, what the Democrats have been doing across the country throughout this electoral cycle or whatever you want to call it. There's a Matthew P. Ho is a Green Party candidate. He's the perfect example. The Democrats did everything in their power to remove him from the ballot. Reason being that they think that their votes will go to the Greens and they will end up losing to the Republican. As true or as not true as that may be, what the Democrats are doing is fascist. It is literally the opposite of democracy. They are not, they, not the Republicans, are not giving us an opportunity even to choose a third party. That's powerful. I will pick this up on the other side, man, because... We have 30 seconds remaining. That's right there is an eye-opener, so to speak, because they prop up candidates. Uh, if they think, oh, well, that candidate can't win, we need this one. They're going to prop that candidate up with funds, money... Uh, they're going to support him. That's not democracy. Exactly. Just look at Charles Booker a couple years ago. They supported his right-wing Democrat opponent, who then lost to the Republican. Charles Booker probably would have destroyed that Republican. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a thousand subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, Behind and Beyond. This call will be recorded and monitored. Yeah, so I'm back to conclude that uh, thought I wanted to say. You know, it disgusts me also when I heard that Democrats was funding Trump candidates, uh, uh, that they can beat these guys. They're playing games because they don't know if they can beat these guys or not because for the simple fact, people are hiding in the wings and they, you don't know what their vote is, and they will vote for them guys because they'd rather have them than you. You know what I'm saying? So stop playing with the people's money uh, that they're giving you to run these candidates who are totally out of touch uh, with the voting world. You know what I'm saying? And what, what's reality on the ground? And so I wanted to throw that out there also because I heard about that. It was very disgusting to me. Glad you did hear about it. I know that not everything gets through to you guys, which for what it's worth, I haven't mentioned this, is another reason, another thing that people do. I used to go into Greenhaven a lot and hang out with incarcerated people and exchange ideas and exchange, you know, they would ask me for, about things happening on the outside and I would learn about what's going on on the inside. That's another thing that, you know, the, the power holders do not want you doing, but you could do.
So yeah, that, that is something they're doing, literally supporting um, right-wing candidates, Trumpers, which is insane. For, for anyone who doesn't know, the person that Hillary Clinton lost to, Donald Trump, was her hand-picked opponent. So there's that. Yes, I think we've I think we've pretty much established where the Democrats stand. And I'll just give one last example. I don't know where they get my phone number because I don't give it out, but I get tons of text messages, you know, from the Democratic Party, for instance, using abortion once again to get more money as if they would ever codify it. We they've proven they wouldn't, and we are where we are today, kind of because of them. Like you said, they just sit around, they don't take any initiative, they allow the Republican Party to do crazy shit and and they did so uh one of the one of the texts that i got recently asked me to fill out a survey and i you know i'm always curious to see that and so i clicked on it they're asking me all these like you know multiple choice questions so you only have a couple options and we get to criminal justice as they like to refer to it and they say they're asking me about bail reform and they're you know um as a result of bail reform criminals are getting out like way earlier or right away and and like do you believe that this is the cause of increased crime and i answered the question as best as i could and then i texted them back and i said you know you're part of the problem don't you understand that that is a leading question that one it is you're calling them criminals so if anyone reads that they're already thinking they're bad guys so that's number one number two you're talking about a crime increase that hasn't happened and these are the democrats and number three if a person is uh innocent until proven guilty uh then why do they need to sit in jail to wait for their court date uh that doesn't make any sense and they keep using this uh tired rhetoric to say oh the streets are more violent and dangerous because uh they're giving these guys no bail they're giving these guys release with no bails because if you put a person in, in jail for three years and he has a no bail or a million dollar bail that they know he can't pay. Uh, this is not about flight risk or a threat to the community. This is about you want to punish him before he's even found guilty and you want him to be in prison where you think he belongs. 100%. Which is why this is the staggering number exists. 75% of people in jail have not been convicted of a crime. Wow. Man, it's so much to unpack, man. But uh, let me get to this next question because, uh, you know, I know you you know, busy in person. I ain't trying to hold you up here all day, but you're answering <laughs> stuff, man, that the people need to know about, man. So I really want you. I really appreciate that. Politically speaking, how do we get our state reps and officials to stop politicizing prison? It seems their first instincts are to try to appease their constituents with tough-on-crime rhetoric in order to get voters to elect them. The answer to public safety has nothing to do with building more prisons or locking more people up. How do we educate the public about this? I feel like we've been kind of talking about this throughout. I, you know, every once in a while, you're going to have a candidate like Tiffany Caban or like Kristen Richardson Jordan, or, you know, you're going to have um, a Chesa or Chesa, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it, the DA in San Francisco that, you know, I believe if, if they weren't a DA would be an abolitionist. Every once in a while, you're going to get that. Of course, if you've been following San Francisco, there was a huge recall against that person. So, you know, even even when they're elected, 
they're very often unable to do what they want to do, or they have to limit what they're doing. They can only push so hard. I've spoken with the DA of Portland, Mike Schmidt, many times, and I know he does things he doesn't want to have to do. Those are those are district attorneys. That's a unique type of position. You know, Kristen is on the city council, so is Tiffany, and those are the people like I've talked about that I want to bring the 10 demands to. Kristen is an abolitionist. I think Tiffany is as well. So that's one way. You get them next to other politicians, they're more likely to listen to them than they are to me. So I have a lot of faith in Kristen changing people's minds. It's like being on a jury. One person can change the entire jury. And I'm hoping Kristen, for instance, can change the city council. Meanwhile, people like myself, you know, and, and others need to continue to do the work, you know, the legwork of getting the information out there as as widely as possible. Um, and then, you know, as much as we can kind of lean on people like you to be, you know, willing to tell your story um, so that, you know, people who the neoliberals that I talk to who mean well and make regular mistakes can be can understand better why the, the things they're doing that they think are helping are not. Sure. And I think that public pressure comes when we don't support these candidates. Uh, the ones who, like you say, are either abolitionists or call themselves progressive or have different ideas about prosecution or no prosecution, uh, they get torn out the frame and nobody's there supporting them. You know, you got very little people pushing back. Um, that's a problem. Support your candidates uh, because that's the problem. That's why a lot of these so-called progressives uh, that take these offices and they get elected, they, they quickly turn around and start doing the opposite of what they promised. Exactly. That's why so many people are so disappointed with the squad. I mean, you know, one of them was a Ferguson activist leading the protests. Um, and so, yeah, I think half of it is being more dedicated to the candidates that you definitely trust. And, you know, again, praying they don't disappoint you. You know, if anyone calls themselves radical or even leftists, I have more hope for them than those who call themselves progressives. Progress is not what we want. We need fucking change, right? And, and then the other half, if not 51 plus percent, is doing everything else so we don't need them at all. Hey, man. What is your biggest project right now? What are you currently working on? I'm like one track minded at this point. I mean, you know, I have my own show that, you know, we'll schedule to have you on where I talk about a lot of these same issues. Um, I have the 10 Demands organization. Um, we're going to continue to create videos breaking down each demand, um, continuing to try to spread the information as far and wide, exchanging endorsements with um, candidates and organizations that, you know, are like-minded. So, you know, and, and I do hope obviously to get back to music again. Um, but for a while, music has kind of taken a back seat. I typically use it now for the express purposes, not of like making an album, but to support a specific cause. So I created the 10 demand song and video. And then, you know, sometime after that, I created a song on behalf of an organization that was leading marches across the country for Medicare for all. Um, so I'm sure there'll be another issues that, an issue that comes up or s another org that asks me, and that'll just force me to get out there and do it again. Otherwise, it might be a little while because I am so focused on just getting 
information and stories like, you know, stories like yours um, out there to the masses. Most definitely, man. You know, I'm there. If you me in, I will be there telling my story, uh, man, and, de and definitely amplifying um, a lot of these topics of discussion. Speaking of music, you know, if you can, man, we would like to hear a few of your boss our listeners, man, so they can see what type of mindset you're working with in your music. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do... I'll do a verse from 10 Demands. This way, if you like it, you can go look it up. Just a fair warning. Not surprisingly, I'm being censored. So if you look it up on YouTube, you're just going to have to press a few extra buttons to actually be able to see it. Typically, you can find me um, at This Is Awkward or Awkward Rap. So on Twitter and YouTube, it's A-W-K-W-O-R-D-R-A-P. My website is thisisawkward.com. Um, you know, you'll, I mean, you could Google me as well. Um, and so here's, here's one of the verses it goes like this. Every city, every town, burn the precinct to the ground. Badgeless federales sweep you up without a sound. Now the crying for the constitution, but the movement moving since the dissolution of the institution of slavery to the slave codes made to be new slaves with new chains in chain gangs to Jim Crow. They imputed crime to color, collapsed communities for profit, stop and frisk on body cams, reforms not for stopping it, but rather rendering a system even more permanent. So the rich rely on cops and the cops do the murdering. The media reports to ensure the social scare so everyone fears a world if cops weren't there. Statistics show cops are trained for collecting collars and punitive systems produce recidivists and dollars. If you're poor, black, and brown, you're born to the siren sound. Tell me how much money are we paying so you'll beat us down. Damn. Hey, man, y'all hear that, right? He's talking that real talk and he's saying all the truth. Listen carefully what he's saying. You gotta hear it. I like that, man. Thank you. And you pause, man, and that's the type of music that we need, man, that educational rap, man, that, that historical narrative, you know? Yeah, and, and I, you know, there's a fine line, right? Like, especially for me, looking the way that I do, it, it's important that I don't come off as preachy, you know, and it's important that the music is is a good listen as well, right? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to like just stuff stuff down people's faces like their teachers do. You know, I, I want people to want to listen to the song to like nod their head to it. And, and in the meantime, just catch, catch things like, oh shit, like I didn't, I didn't know that. Or like, you know, he said that in a powerful way, like that hit me different than if he had just like, said the word you know and and that's why like as dope as an acapella may or may not be i do recommend people look for the video because you get the song over the beat you get the hook the beautiful chorus you know and then on top of that um you get to see the video um which i think importantly is not focused on me there's like a split second flash of me performing i think but the rest of it is some pretty powerful stuff scenes from inside prisons and jails scenes from the streets and scenes from protests hey man you're opening up consciousness i mean you know when people are listening to to something and they like the beat or they like the music or the hooks but then the words is being said it's penetrating their psyche so later on they're thinking damn did he just say that that is what's happening where i'm at that's what i see every day the music that i like man and i take up on so man, i really appreciate that man any last words you got for the listeners? No, but I do want to know, and you don't have to answer me um, on the air if you if you don't want to. But like, tell me where you are if like you know if you guys 
He's got CDs, like whatever the best way for people to hear that song. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about beyond me mentioning uh, Jail Law Speak was, you know, abolitionist organizing within prison. And, you know, it's it's a it's an incredible thing organizing inside out and so giving giving your friends um you know people you know access to a song like that you know for one it would mean a lot to me to know they're listening but ideally hopefully it would have some impact on on them as well i was going to say that i'm in the washington system we have jpay man and i did look you up trying to find some of your music and i didn't see anything on there so one of the ways uh your music because it catches on in, throughout the system is through the JPEG. Or if not, yes, the ability to order CDs or any of that stuff anymore, everything is central down to the JPEG system. That's where we get our music from. Um, it's okay. The organizing aspects. We have a lot of uh, people uh, that's in the abolitionist field. You know, I got uh, one of the books myself uh, that Kaepernick uh, assembled. Yes. Sharing that around and telling people the change in their language is necessary in order for them to get the truth of what's really going on. Stop using uh, recycled information and words um, that don't mean anything. So we have networks. We would like to um, get with you and organize. That's dope. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So I will I will connect with your people to talk more about JPay. Obviously, I'm familiar with it. Access Music. And it, I just want to offer to you that if you guys need anything, if you want more books, whatever it is, make sure I get the address and, and I'll get that out to you guys. All right, for sure. Thank you for coming through. Uh, me and you are definitely going to hook up, man. I like what you had to say. Um, and I like the uh, initiatives that you're taking, man. Not just talking to talk, but walking the walk. Uh, so I'll definitely be in touch. And uh, let's keep it going, man. The conversation, man. In the action plan. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, like I said, man, it means a lot that you have me on. Um, I'm, I'm really glad we did this. We're definitely like-minded individuals. Um, and I think that, you know, that fact even alone is powerful. Um, so we'll continue to talk. I really want my listeners to hear your story. You know, like I said, um, uh, I'll get whatever you guys need out there to you so we could keep building. We have 30 seconds remaining. Let's promote it from both sides. Let's bring the people together. Let's start opening up more conscious and make the people, uh, examine some of their thoughts and see why it's necessary to change is drastic, man. It, it, it can't happen uh, in weeks and months. It gotta happen right now. Man, keep going what you're doing, man. We appreciate you. That means a lot. You too, brother. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speaker or our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the wall behind and beyond.